0: I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We are continuing to work our way through the heroes of the faith, named in Hebrews chapter 11. And having now looked at Enoch and Noah we come now to the one we know as Abraham. Here in this story, named Abram. Abram meaning exalted father. And this was his name until God gave him a new name. Abraham, meaning father of many. Father of many. This is, of course, how we know him. What we have in Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three is his call. A call. God's call upon his life. So let's read together verses one to three. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This call begins with a twofold command. He's told to go away from, to leave country, people, father's household, and go where? What are the directions? I will show you. To the land, I will show you, says God. And so to our eyes and ears these appear to be directions to nowhere unspecified we would never want to take a trip with this minimal of direction and there's something deep within our hearts that recoils at being directionless and not knowing exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there and that can cause a lot of anxiety within us. It seems like directions to nowhere. Just take my word for it, Abram. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you how long. For many today, this summarizes what they make of Christianity and the Christian gospel. It seems to them that This all boils down to directions to nowhere. They think that the Christian life has been tried, maybe in a bygone era, and it just doesn't do anything for us anymore. It's directionless. And many people today think I can have meaningful relationships. I can have meaningful and fulfilling pursuits. I can have community. I can volunteer. I can do good. I can live a moral life. I can have a happy family life. And I don't need anything in the Bible. I don't need God. I don't need Christianity. I'm fine without it. Thank you very much. These are directions to nowhere. This isn't going to change the world. This isn't going to deliver what I want. And so they dismiss it out of hand. So also, many who attend church think that the goal of living by faith, the goal of the gospel, is to achieve something for ourselves. To attain a higher state of joy and happiness, to live a more moral life, a life of character and integrity, that the goal is to change the world, to make it a better place, that the goal is to go to church so that you can cultivate a certain emotion or feeling. That Christianity can be used as a political means to achieve political ends. And what all these views have in common is that Christianity is seen as a vehicle for achieving another end, another purpose. And we use it to get somewhere, to get something. And as long as that is your view or my view or our view of the Christian life, it's going to feel like directions to nowhere because that completely misses the point. That's not what the gospel is about. That's not what Christianity is about. There is a fundamental misunderstanding behind this. G.K. Chesterton was right when he said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. People who think these are directions to nowhere, there's no point to this, it's useless. Let it go, move on. We're better off without it. Hear those words again. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Those who speak as though these are directions to nowhere don't know the first thing about Christianity, true Christianity, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what you and I need to understand, what we see in God's call to Abram is that living by faith is not a way for us to get somewhere. Neither is it a way for us to get something. It's not about what we can get. It's not a means to an end. On the contrary, living by faith is the way God has chosen to bring sinners like you and like me back to himself. God is the goal. And there is no gospel, there is no Christianity apart from fellowship, communion, knowing God and being known by God. But as long as we see church and involvement in church, and Christian teaching, and the gospel as a means to an end, we're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. It's not going to give you what you want. But if you want God, if the longing, and the craving, and the desire of your life, and your heart is for more of God, then you will never go unsatisfied. You will know he is sufficient, sufficient to meet your every need, sufficient To bless, to protect, to care for you. Is that your understanding of living by faith today or not? Let's take a closer look at verse 1 and this twofold command that God places upon Abram. Command number 1 is leave everything you know. Leave everything you know. And notice how he starts with the broadest category and works his way down to the most specific category of Abram's life and identity. He says, go from your country, that is, the geographical area you know and are familiar with. Go from your country. Go from your land. Go from the culture in which you are embedded, that you're most familiar with. And then he says, go from your people, from your nationality, from your tribe, so to speak, the people who know you best, the people you know best, the support system that you've had, in your life up until this point. And then finally, the most specific category is leave your father's household. Leave your own family. Your closest network of support. Your family. Why does God tell him to do this? Does God want us to be miserable? Does he want to cut us off from our loved ones and those who have sustained us? What do we make of this? What does he mean? Does he want us to be all alone? And you say, I don't want to be all alone. I don't want to leave my country, my land, what I know, my culture. I don't want to leave my people. I don't want to leave my father's household, or at least not all of them, at least the family members that I like and get along with. Maybe there's some I'd prefer to." leave behind but not all of them right what does he mean well lest you think this is just what god told abram hear these words from the lord jesus in matthew chapter 10 verse 37 anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So this isn't just the call on Abram's life. This is what Jesus said. This is essential to the gospel. This is, as we say, the cost of discipleship. The cost of following Jesus, the cost of confessing Jesus is Lord. But why? Why would you give up everything that you cherish and treasure to follow this God who won't even tell you exactly where he's leading you? He just says, trust me, I'll show you where. Why would you do that? Why would anyone do that? That's nonsensical. It seems insane. Those are directions to nowhere. Surely we can do better. Let's take a step back and look at Abram's country and his people and his father's household. What do we know about them? Well, if you back up to Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And we have the people, the people from whom Abram came saying this in Genesis 11, verse 3. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What are they saying? Let's all work together and use the very best of our ingenuity, and our technology, and we'll make a great name for ourselves, and we'll be totally self-sufficient. And we won't need anyone or anything, and we certainly don't need God. And in so doing, they are rebelling against God. They are overthrowing God's governance in their life. They're doing the very thing That reverses why they were created. Why were they created? Why were you created? To know God, to glorify God, to enjoy God, to be dependent upon God, to need Him for every breath you take. But they say, no, no, no. If we all work together, if we come up with the right strategy, if we plan carefully enough, if we have enough advanced technology, we'll we'll have a name. We'll be great. We'll have success. Well, God stops them dead in their tracks. He comes down. He scatters them across the earth. He judges their pride and their efforts to try to be independent of him. God does not look kindly upon those who think they don't need him, who try to overthrow his good and right governance. So when God says to Abram, get out from among them. Leave your country and your people and your family. What he's saying is, get out from these people who are corrupted by idolatry. And so also he says to you today and to me, this is a fallen world. And corruption is running rampant throughout it. And you will not find salvation, you will not find deliverance, you will not find what your soul longs for in this world. And this is why we read in 1 John chapter 2. These startling words in verse 15. Do not Love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, in other words, if anyone loves their country or their people or their family too much and in, to an inordinate degree, love for the Father is not in them. Whoa. And then he's more specific. For everything in the world, here's what he means it's not God's creation, God's creation is good. He says it is good. He affirms that it is good. This is God's world, the world of our Father. He's not saying that. But here's what he means. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. And we can see all these things playing out in Genesis 11 in Babel. The lust of the flesh We want to be great, and we don't want anyone or anything else to hamper our greatness. We don't want God. We don't need anyone. We want to be independent and self-sufficient. We don't want God telling us what to do. The lust of the eyes, what looks big and great and shiny and sexy, that's what we want. Let's go get it. And then the pride of life, the pride of life. It's in my heart right now. It's in your heart right now. The pride of life that boasts in what you've done, that boasts in whatever title you may hold, that boasts in wherever you went to school, that looks with contempt upon those who you deem as lesser, who don't live the way you live or look the way you look. That pride of life. Oh, it's present. You say, "Well, I don't want to look down on anyone." Well. Surely you say, well, I want my child's resume to look like this. I want them to be successful, right? I want them to make a certain amount of money. I want them to go to certain schools. I want them to be able to live the American dream, right? The pride of life, defining success, defining life by what we can do, by what we can accomplish. This is the way of the world. And here's what is going to happen. This world and its desires Pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. This world and the ways of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things are passing away. They will not last. God says, Get out. Get out of that, or you'll suffer the same demise. Get out. Leave all that behind. Loosen your grip on the things of this world. And just think right now, think about where your greatest disappointments in life lie. There are cases where we're holding on to this world and the things of this world too tightly. We lose a loved one. Of course we grieve, we're human, God wants us to grieve. But when your joy, the joy of your heart is at stake, if that person passes away, then you have loved them to an inordinate degree. This is a hard word. This is a very hard word. But if you love them more than you love Jesus, Jesus says, you have no part of me. The love of the Father isn't in you. We've got to loosen our grip on this world because the things of this world, our looks, aren't we aware, are fading away. Every time I trim up my beard, I'm noticing, man, there are more gray hairs in there. When did that happen? This world is passing away. I am passing away. We're all passing away. Don't cling too tightly. But remember this the more God enables you to loosen your grip on the things of this world, the more you will enjoy, rightly enjoy the things of this world. How so? Because you won't load the things of this world with freight they cannot carry. You won't expect your spouse to be Jesus because you know they're not Jesus and you have your fulfillment and your contentment in Jesus. So when they let you down, that's not the end of the world. They're not Jesus. Your hope isn't set on them. And so you will enjoy your spouse more. You will enjoy food more. You will enjoy the things of this life and the pleasures of this life more. All to the glory of God the Father when you don't expect them to give you life and hope. They can't, they won't. They're of this world, they're passing away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So God says to Abram, leave all that behind. Get out from among them. It's not that God takes any pleasure in people being miserable, that's not what he wants. He, He wants you to have joy, real lasting joy in him. Come out from them. And here's the second command. Follow me. To the land I will show you. Follow me. Notice it's not follow this set of rules. It's not perform this ritual. It's not feel this or do that or go here or go there. It's follow me. Follow me. And in this, God is testing Abraham's obedience. And by this, he will test your obedience and my obedience. Are you following him? Or were you following a certain feeling? or a certain means to an end to make you happier. Or because you thought this was a program to make the world a better place. God doesn't promise us any of those things. Cults can give you those things. Political parties can give you those things. Self-help books can give you those things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not aimed at making anyone happier or wealthier or more moral. That's not the point. Although, will you know a joy that Surpasses understanding that abides, yes. Does God want you to be more moral? Yes. Does He want you to serve and give your time and your energy and love to others? Yes. Yes. But that's not the point. That's not what we need fundamentally. We think it is. But what we need fundamentally is to be reconciled to a holy God. Because on our own, we're just like the people of Babel, trying to find our own way, do the best we can. Rely on our most advanced technology, and it won't deliver. But God's call on Abram's life is such that Abram can't do anything or go anywhere apart from God. He is completely and entirely dependent upon God, and that's the best place to be. Sometimes the circumstances of this life, the trials of this life, bring us to that point and We didn't pursue that point, but God's brought us there. And in that place of tension, maybe disappointment with this world, that's where you're enjoying what you were created to enjoy, namely God. And you know, yes, these are directions to nowhere. That's not the point. The goal of the gospel, the goal of Christian teaching is to give us directions to someone. Someone. Have you found this someone? Or Have you been found by this someone? If you have, then you know in light of who he is, in light of what he's done for a sinner like you, in light of his kindness and his mercy and his grace, you can say with the psalmist, truly, your love is better than life. If I die in an hour, if I die tomorrow, just to have experienced your love for one day, Is better. Or as we read in another psalm, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere. If we could go on, a thousand years of life in this world cannot surpass one day in the presence of this God. Is he better? Is Jesus worth it to you? Can you say he is better? That's the command. That's the call. But attached to that call is a threefold promise. As we see in verse 2, we have a personal blessing a personal blessing. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, a personal blessing for Abram. I'm going to do good to you, Abram. I'm going to do good to you. And what the people of Babel were trying to achieve, they want a great nation, they want a great name, they want success, I'm going to give to you freely. Not because of any righteous things you've done, not because you're more worthy, but because I've chosen you, because I've chosen to intervene in your life, a personal blessing blessing. And what makes this personal blessing so astounding is that we've been told just prior to this in chapter 11 that Abram and his wife are unable to conceive. They have no children. And yet God is saying to him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to do what I've been promising to do all along. This this idea of blessing is a theme that runs throughout the book of Genesis. You see it in chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, that is, the man and the woman, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He blessed them and he says, be fruitful and multiply. But what do they do with that? They squander it. They say God's not good enough. His blessing isn't good enough. We need more. We need to transgress God's command. Because we need to make a great name for ourselves, never mind what he gives. We need to make a, a great name. We need more. He's not enough. His goodness isn't enough. And so they break his command, and they fall. And along with them, all of humanity, we do the exact same thing. And yet God does not abandon them. He intervenes again. He calls a man named Noah, and he saves Noah along with his family. And on the other side of the great flood that wipes out everyone but Noah and his family. We read in Genesis 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. See, he's starting over. And here we go again. They squander it once more. It's still not good enough. God's blessing isn't enough. We need more. We have the Tower of Babel, and yet here God intervenes to start over once again from one man, from one man to make one great nation, and from this nation, from this people to bless the nations, to bring blessing to you and to me. Do you see God's patience and mercy in all this? If you don't, it's because your eyes are blinded by sin. God has made himself known. God has been so generous and so kind time and time and time again. He was merciful and patient with them and he's been merciful and patient with you. God has a blessing. He wants to do good to you. And in addition to the personal blessing, we have a revealing blessing that we see in verse 3, the first half. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. A revealing blessing. a, A blessing that reveals your posture, your attitude, your approach to God and his people. It's the same truth Jesus describes for us Continuing in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And don't miss this. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their Reward. Even a cup of cold water calls forth this blessing that God gives to Abram. And whoever curses you, I will curse. This is a revealing blessing. It shows whether you're with God or not. It shows your attitude toward God. And if you have received this blessing through Abraham then you know when people revile you and curse you and harm you, you don't have to curse in turn. You should not curse in return. God will take care of that. Do good to those who persecute you. Trust God when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He doesn't need you to repay. He doesn't need me to repay. He will repay in his own time and in his own way. He is just. Trust him to be just. And people's posture toward God's people will be revealed in this. And for a time, God's blessing to Abram is revealed in this people, Israel. But even then, it wasn't the case that everyone who is naturally a part of Israel, biologically related to Abram, was a member of Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. It is only those who are the descendants of Abram by faith, who live by faith, who know that. These are directions to God. It's about God. Do you know him? Does he know you? Or are you a stranger? And then we have the third promise, which is the ultimate blessing. The ultimate blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Second half of verse three. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You, and this is what the Apostle Paul describes in Galatians 3 verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The ultimate blessing is the seed of Abraham the Messiah, God himself in the flesh. Come to live the life we have not lived, to die the death we deserve, and to be resurrected. This is the ultimate blessing. God himself. Jesus says in John 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Did he ever look upon Jesus? No. Abram didn't even have the promised land given to him in full. He lived there, sure. He saw it, sure. But he didn't get it in full. He had to wait. But he saw enough so that he could trust God's word to guide him in this world. He saw enough. He saw enough to believe that through him, God would bring about the greatest And the ultimate blessing, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as God called Abram then, God is calling you today. How will you respond? How does this sound to you? Does it still sound like directions to nowhere? I mean, you keep looking, it's not good enough. Or do you see that these are directions to someone and that someone has a name and his name is Jesus? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And and he is enough because he has done what we could never do for ourselves. He has shed his blood to reconcile us to God the Father. And his work on the cross can be applied to your life, to your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you obeyed him? Have you followed through? You see these as directions to someone. I pray that you wouldn't keep looking. I pray that you would trust God, that you take him at his word. Let him show you every step of the way. Don't try to get ahead of him. You can't. Take one day at a time. Take one blessing at a time. Give thanks. Take him at his word. He's as good as his word. And whatever trial you may be facing right now, however much this world may be pressing down on you and crowding out your joy, trust him. Trust him. Go to the land I will show you. A land, a city, whose builder and architect is God. God himself. You can know him. You can enjoy him. You can talk to him. You can pray to him. You can cry out to him and he will guide you, he will direct you, and he will be enough. And then you can say with the psalmist, his love is better than life. Amen. May that be your prayer today as we go to him in prayer. Dear Lord, forgive us for when we overlook your word or trample upon your word and treat it as though it's not good enough for us, as though we need more as though we could do better without you. Lord, help us to repent of that. Lord, I pray that we would reaffirm by the work of your Spirit, not only the truth of your gospel, the truth of what you have done through the seed of Abraham, Christ Jesus, but also the power, the power of your gospel. Lord, I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. If it costs us friends, if it costs us status, if it costs us loved ones, if it costs us discomfort or inconvenience, Lord, may those be nothing in comparison with the greatness of your love shed abroad in our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray by your spirit that we would trust you, that we would obey you, come what may, that we would depend upon you, that we would never try to get ahead of you, that we would wait patiently on you as you enable us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you are our all in all. May we rest in you. May we receive what Jesus has done for us. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.